Good morning. How are you guys today? We are getting some good weather for once, which spring is sprung, right? It's not, nothing's going to snow again. It's going to just be this forever. No. Uh, as was just said, we're starting in a new series, and this new series is called Eternal Today. I keep forgetting. <laughs> um, and we're talking about why does the resurrection matter? Why does the resurrection matter? We're heading into Easter where the resurrection is celebrated. And why does it matter? And there's lots of reasons why it matters. We're going to be focusing on, uh, uh, before Easter, we're going to be focusing on an idea of why does it matter to you right now? Why does it matter to you in your life now? As opposed to just why does it matter to you in your future? We're, we're going to be thinking about why, why does it matter today? And how does eternity come and, and invade today? And that's kind of a trickier question, isn't it? Like, there's one thing to say, it matters to me because of something in the future, but it's a whole other thing to kind of get your head around, why does it matter right now? So I think uh, it's interesting to think about what we actually believe as Christians. Central, central to what it means to be a Christian is that you believe the truth of this kind of basic story. There was a man, and his name was Jesus, and he claimed to be the incarnation, which means the embodiment of God. And that man was killed. Well, he was tortured and he was killed in a very public, very awful, very well-known way. And then he was dead, like dead, dead. He was dead in a tomb. He was wrapped up in cloths. He was dead. He was in a tomb for parts of three days. And then he was resurrected. And he didn't just come back to life. This word resurrection is interesting. It didn't just mean he came back to life. Like his exact body just started breathing again, right? It wasn't like he was laying there and then opened his eyes and took a breath and he had been in some sort of weird coma-like state and now he's revived from that state. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly him that came back. It was, it was him, but not just him. It was him, but renewed, but better, and it also wasn't just a ghost. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a spirit. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't a hologram. This new thing that he was was something between, kind of between those two. Between just his physical body and some sort of spirit thing. It was, it's kind of hard to explain, right? And, and writers had a hard time explaining it. You could say he was renewed. He was restored. You could say he was brought back past his previous limitations. You could say, as he predicted, that his, his first self was like a seed. And that seed died and broke open and, and created the second self, the new bigger self. That's what we believe. And the four stories of Jesus' life that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell that basic story, right? They're telling this story. And when, the, and when Jesus goes into heaven and he's not here anymore, the disciples who are left behind, when they are asked to tell the story, when they get up and preach, when they give a speech in front of people, this is their outline. There was a guy. His name was Jesus. He claimed to be God. You killed him. We all saw it happen. And then he was resurrected. And we all saw it happen. 
Why is this? Why is this the main story of what they want to say? Why is that, those few details, the main thing of what they want to get across? Because I think they believed that Jesus' death and resurrection was a, was a truth that took place in a limited time frame, you know, a time frame of 30 some years, that is the picture, is the image, is the, is the, uh, is the showing of a bigger truth. Not that Jesus' resurrection is an infinite, but a longer time span truth. Jesus' life is a, is a short time span picture of the long time span truth. And so it's, it's, it's understanding where we are in that long time span truth. It's understanding that that's where things are going. It's understanding that time, that us, that everything is going to go through this death and resurrection process. This process of becoming renewed and new and different and beyond what we were. That's the story that is everything. And it's the story contained in Jesus' life. All of this, what we have, life, creation, goes through its ups and downs. It's going to go through a death process and it's going to be renewed and restored. It will not be dead and stay dead. It's not just going to end. It will not be destroyed and replaced with a completely different kind of thing. It's going to die and then be renewed. That story, that story sets up how you think about where you are right now. So I want, to tell, I want to tell this story in the Bible because I want you to see how the Bible tells this one big, long story. And to do that, I'm going to be using this graphic that my friend Andrew Sladke made. And it's gorgeous. And I really hope that someday I have it printed and, and it's on the wall of my office. So we're going to be walking through. You can see that there are, uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, six chapters to this story that we're going to tell. Chapter 1, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's a great start. God, who created everything, but before he did that, before he started, the earth was formless and empty. Now, when you hear the word earth, you, need to, you can substitute in your head the word universe, the word matter, the word all things that were ever made. The Bible constantly uses the word earth to mean all of it, all things that were made. There's the heaven realm and the earth realm, right? There's these two different realms. The earth realm is all of it. And all of it was formless and empty. There was nothing. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And it's hard to get our minds around nothing, right? It's so hard. So the Bible writer pictures it as a deep ocean from which eventually everything is going to come. And there's God hovering over it. I love that. Perfect, complete hovering. I sometimes think of it as God meditating. And this one sentence stretches back through to eternity. It always was. This one sentence, even though it's just one sentence in the, in the Bible, it represents this huge, I can't even say time span because it wasn't time, right? It just was. God says about himself, I am. I just am. I've always been. 
I didn't, I'm not in creation, I'm outside of creation. So chapter one, God is hovering over the deep. And then with no reason, no provocation, God says something. He says, and let there be light. And there was light. Boom, a new thing explodes. This new thing is active and energetic and anything but formless and empty. It's dark, it's anything but dark and hovering. Chapter two of the story starts in the third sentence. And you're probably somewhat familiar with like the rhythmic pattern that's in, this that's in this next section. And God said something, and that something was, and God saw that it was good. But you're familiar with that, but there's something I want you to pay special attention because it's really key to how you understand this whole big story. You need to understand that in this part, during creation, the realm of heaven and earth that God created in that first sentence are together. They are one thing. There is no separation between them. Look at some of the phrases that are happening in this section. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful in number. He's talking to them, right to them. God blessed them and said to them, God said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant. God commanded them, you are not to eat of the tree of the garden. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep, and he, while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs, and then he healed it up. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All these phrases, all these sentences that show you that heaven and earth are one thing, that there's a direct connection between them. So that's the end of that next column. And then we begin chapter three of this story, which is in chapter four of the Bible. Fall and creation. Adam and Eve, exactly like every one of us, exactly like every one of us, wanted to be like God, wanted to change, wanted to be the judge of good and evil. They acted in opposition and in rebellion to God. And they led, that led to a break in this relationship. It led to a split a division between heaven and earth. And I've always loved this little phrase at the end of Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. And he drove the men out, right? Hear these things? He banished them. He drove them out. And he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. This is permanent. This is, this is solid. That's poignantly sad, but a great picture of God pushing us out and then putting a barrier up. Eden has collapsed. We're in this separated world. Chapter 4 then starts. And I think this chapter is the least understood section of the Bible. And by section, I mean almost all of it. This is the Old Testament. This is like two-thirds of the Bible. It's so many words. And yet we just struggle to get our heads around what it's saying. Many of us grew up thinking of that Old Testament God as angry and judgmental and violent, really, right? And mean. And I don't pretend to understand everything that the prophets wrote. Some of it just makes no sense to me at all. But the more I learn about it, and I still am learning, I still am trying, the more I am seeing this different story that God 
truly desires that things were back how they were. He really wants to be with us. He really wants the healing, the restoration, the renewal of this heaven and earth system being together. That's what he wants and that's where he's moving towards. And so throughout all of this section, we, kind of, we get this phrase that reoccurs that God is wanting his dwelling place to be with us. The second and third books of the Bible, Exodus and Leviticus, there's an enormous number of words dedicated to all these very specific details about how they should build a tabernacle, a tent, a, a place where God can live. And, it, uh, and, and throughout the Old Testament, we hear these kinds of things then I, they will make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Or in Ezekiel it says, my dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And that you just keep hearing this phrase. My dwelling place will be with them. I want to dwell with them. I want to be their God. God is coming this direction, right? He's coming towards us. But there's a problem. The separation still exists. That's why this picture, like God is trying, he's pushing, the nose is pushing down in, but he can't get there. And throughout this whole section, this whole Old Testament, what we see is God wants to be with us, but he's always confined. He's in a, tab he's in a tabernacle. He's in a column of fire. He's in a cloud of smoke. He's in the temple. He's in certain prophets. But it can't be, he can't be everywhere. It just isn't his time. It's not the fullness of time. So that's that chapter. The next chapter is when Jesus comes. And it's the kingdom chapter. We arrive at the birth of Jesus. And this is something very new. When Jesus comes, what would you say? What would you just, if you're just saying to yourself, hey, the Jesus part of the story, what would you say is Jesus' main message? What's the main thing that he wanted to get across? I have come more and more to believe that his main message was return. Return. The Hebrew word that he would have used is teshuva. Teshuva. It's, it's, it's translated a lot of times repent, as it is on this slide, repent. But it, it's, we, we think of repentance as so much narrower than what Jesus would have thought of it as. The Hebrew word teshuva means repent, but it means it means repent in a way of going back to where you were before, returning to how you were before. It means, it means in a lot of uh, Hebrew writings to come home, to come back to where you're supposed to be. Teshuva means to turn around, to return, to come home. Come home because the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a new section. This is a new part where the kingdom of God is at hand. There's something big that's happening in this part of the story where God is no longer totally separated from us. No longer like pushing the boundary of heaven trying to get to us. There's something very new. And, it, and Jesus says it's the kingdom of God that's at hand. And we get all these interesting Interesting phrases that tell us that there's something new going on. We're called the first fruits. Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. The spirit is called the deposit that's keeping us. Like all these things that are saying there's a start of something new happening in this chapter. 
We're going to get back to that, right? Because that's where we're concentrating this whole series on that second to last part. But then the last part is the arrival, the final book of the Bible, this uh, first century apocalyptic writing. And it it's takes us through all these pictures and things that are hard for us to understand, things for hard, that are hard for us to set meaning to. But when it ends, it's super clear that it is concluding the arc of this one big story. I mean, he uses words that are so obvious that they are the completion of the ark. Um, in chapter 21, or 20, I don't exactly remember, 21, we get this amazing thing where God says from, from heaven, it says, I, uh, well, First John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then I heard a voice from heaven, and it says, I am making everything new. Now, something interesting, again, about, about the words that are there. You know, you could use the word new to mean different. I got a new car. It's not the same car that I had before. It's a brand new car. Or you can use the word new to mean restored, changed. I got an old car, and then I fixed it up, and now it's a new car. It's not the same as it was before. And that's the word, that's the word that was used here. Restored, renewed. There's a restored Jerusalem, a restored heaven, exactly as Jesus' restored body was. Right? And then the next chapter is very, very clear that it's talking about Eden returning and this, and this God and man being able to be together. And out of heaven we get, look, the dwelling place of God is now with his people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. And then an angel showed me the John. The angel showed me this river and the water of life. And the river is flowing between the trees of good and evil. Right? It's Eden, obviously. I mean, you don't even have to say the word Eden. It's Eden. Okay, so we're asking then, why does the resurrection matter? Why does all that story matter? What does it do to you today? One reason, just one reason that I think this story story matters is because of where it all is heading. Where it all is heading. When Jesus talked about where it all is heading, he talked about it as the renewal of all things. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things. Is that how you think about the end? The renewal of all things. Not the throwing away of one thing and making a new thing. No, the renewal of all things. This is a story about God coming back here, about here turning back to what it was. And that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking affects what you do and how you think. Uh, when, Jesus, when, when John wrote about this section, when John wrote about Jesus' life, he obviously is making reference to this huge big story. John writes at the very beginning of his book of John, Uh, He writes words that you may be familiar with. In the beginning was the word. Obviously, obviously he's saying. In the beginning was the word is parallel to in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? Obviously that's what he's saying. In the beginning was the word. And then he goes on and he parallels Jesus' life to this big ark. And we can't look at all of them. But, but watch what happens when he gets to the part of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' death and resurrection. Watch the imagery that John uses. John says, um, 
at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, <laughs> right? There was a garden. And in the garden was a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Okay, what's about to happen, I just want to set the scene for you. It took place in a garden. Do You might think that's coincidental or unremarkable or just he just said the garden because it was there, but theologians don't think that. They think John is clearly telling us that this is Eden again, right? The Garden of Eden is back. And then if you weren't quite sure, he starts the next chapter but with these words. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. <laughs> Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. You mean... Sort of like when it was dark and formless and empty and darkness was over the surface and the spirit was hovering over the deep? Yeah, something like that. Darkness is over the surface and we're in a garden, but it's the first day of the week. So something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. And then we get this renewal of all things. When Jesus rises, resurrects into this different thing. Again, I ask you the question, what does this do? How does this change you? Well, I think it, looks, it changes you in at least two ways. One is, when you look around, what do you see? How do you think of it? Do you see and think of it as systems and culture and people that are in need of a good fire? Or do you see systems and people and culture that could use and deserve renewal and redemption? That question is a worldview difference that has a tendency, in me at least, uh, and I could be reading it wrong for you, but it has a tendency to affect how useful and important you think it is to work for the renewal and for, towards making this a better place. On the days when I think the whole thing is a hopeless dumpster fire, I also feel like sitting on my couch and eating ice cream and watching detective shows. Right? But on the days when I think that the world is heading toward restoration, when I think that the inhabitants are precious, when I think that God's story is him coming here and restoring this thing, then I feel more like I should probably do something to participate in that. I should probably help work towards that. It, it works in the opposite way too. Like in days when I just don't have energy and I'm not feeling good about myself, then I rationalize that it's all going down anyway. There's nothing I need to do, and it's not my fault people are suffering. But on days when I believe in that this is the direction of the story, then I want to push towards it. I want to participate in it. That's one way that this resurrection should affect how you live today. And another way is this. No matter what you think about what I'm saying about whether we're heading towards restoration or whether we're heading towards destruction and then restoration, no matter what you think about any of that, Jesus was very clear, very clear, that in this period, the Spirit of God would be here, that the kingdom would be at hand. In the previous part of the story, the Spirit was only available to limited individuals, and it set up this diff big difference between priests and prophets and everybody else. In this part of the story, that's not the case anymore. Peter says, Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are priests. 
You are priests because the Spirit is available to everyone, not just certain individual people. We all are spoken multiple times as priests and as prophets. And what does that mean? What is a priest? It means that you have access to God. You have access to forgiveness. You have access to restoration. You have access to peace. You have access and you can get to that stuff. And what does it also mean? It means that you should be bringing the needs of other people to God. A priest was a person who brought the needs of the people to God. When was the last time that you thought about that, about bringing the needs of other people to God? And what would it even look like? What would that even mean? And when was the last time you thought of bringing forgiveness back to people, bringing the love of God out into people and saying, this is what I do as a priest. I bring God to you. Again, one of Jesus' favorite words that he used was teshuva, teshuva, turn around, return, come home. And that's where we are. We're on the road back With Jesus' resurrection, the story has turned. It has taken a turn. We no longer need to keep heading in the wrong direction. So why do we think that it's inevitable? Why do we think we have to? Teshuvah, return, come back. We can and we should turn this around. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, This really is a worldview kind of issue. It really is a thing that gets deep inside of us and the stories that we tell ourselves about where we are in this big story, what's happening, where it's headed. And I, and I know that for me, it's, it's always been so helpful if I can see the story as being a story of restoration and redemption and return. And that my part, our part in that is to help move it in that direction. To come home ourselves and, and bring the world with us as we come. Now I pray for us here in the room that we can feel the presence of your Holy Spirit who is here and available to us all, making us all a, a nation of priests and a holy nation. Be with us as we Work your plan to return and restore. Amen.